Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am Ted Clock, joined as always in studio by my good friend and partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, conference man has struck again. I think, uh, was it a full two weeks that Ronald was home in Ashland before uh, before packing a bag and hitting the road again? Do, do we, do we have mean, a sense of what kind of time frame he was actually in his quote-unquote hometown? Time is time seems very relative, so it's hard for me to say. It seems it seemed like an eternity because it was longer yeah. than he has been home at any point since like Christmas. I feel so, like he got two episodes in at home. So, I think, but not I think more that's right. Yeah, yeah. So if, if my math is correct, Conference Man was uh, was off the road, was out of commission, back, meaning he was back home for two weeks, and uh, now he's where he belongs. Uh, America's favorite itinerant pastor is uh, is back on the road. He is in yeah, Chicago. I, I feel um, like you know how how there's sort of these you know you see movies and there's like there's like this there's a there's a competition between the alter ego and the uh, <laughs> and the and the the other you know the actual yeah. identity. I yeah. feel like Ron is fighting with himself and he's like, no, I'm mm-hmm. Pastor Ron. And then the alter mm-hmm. ego is like, no, I'm Conference Man. And and Conference Man is clearly winning. If we're not careful, yeah. Ron is just going to be an itinerant conference goer and he's think, not going to have a home. It's going to be. Think, I don't know yeah, how it's going to work. I don't think Pastor Ron has won in a number of years. Actually, I, I think I think Retreat Man can pretty much claim the 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 title in the in the psyche of Ronald J. Martin. I mean, so, by percentages, definitely. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think I think there's still like a vestige of I I I live in Middle America in a well yeah. well groomed well well set up for Instagram farmhouse, and I pastor in a warehouse. Yeah, um, but he's he's so rarely there. Does it really count? I feel like he's paying a mortgage just for the Instagram at this point. <laughs> and there's got to be there's got to be a more efficient way well, to do that. Yeah, like we yeah. were just talking about off the air. I, I mean, does he I would say he Airbnbs it out, but how many people are going to to Ashland for Airbnb is like, "Man, I want to visit that place." Yeah, I got to get to Ashland. I will go you know? to this quaint farmhouse with, yeah. you know, beautiful beautiful fall foliage even though it's spring and and a large exactly. and a large cat that looks like it'll eat my face. For the Instagramming there. too, though, like I can't imagine Ron would be okay with anyone actually like touching anything in the house. Like, um, in order to keep it photo friendly, those those house rules must be extensive. But uh, at any rate, he is he is in his happy place, meaning a Hyatt place in Naperville, Illinois, at this point, where he's he's going to some meetings in a mega church that looks like it's been there for about twenty minutes. It actually looks like the it looks like the football facility at like an SEC school. Um, so huge, lots of glass, probably some several practice gyms in there. Right. Um, my, and also they, they do a little side business in church. My favorite aspect of this was when I asked, Oh, what church are you doing this conference at? Because I used to live in the Naperville area for several years. And, um, he, he comes back with the name, which I won't name because yeah. far be it from us to disparage anyone on this podcast. Absolutely. Um, and I said, oh, that must be a traditional church that rebranded itself as that, because I've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I don't know. And then he sent me the information. I go on the website and look, and sure enough, it is a church that has been around for like 80 or 100 years yep. that has rebranded itself and then launched new campuses. So their original campus looks like a steep old brown brick church, and then yeah. the new one is a Division I um, athletic department, as far as we can tell. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're doing fine financially. And and I got to tell you, like, every, every once you run into these people who are like, oh, the persecution. It's so hard to be a Christian in our culture. And I'm like, you know what? They're they're not hurting, you know, up, up at this church. Like, I think I'll ride out the persecution in their like three billion dollar facility. You know, I'll 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 go ahead and right now call. I'll take the steam room and the cold tub and, and you know, the NBA practice gym. And that'll yeah. that'll just be my my wing for, for riding out all this persecution that we're experiencing in yeah. our culture. Also, if you're more like a, you're a bit more apocalyptic, a bit more kind of out there, if you're thinking the zombie apocalypse is coming, mega church, great place to hang out. Oh, totally. Fully loaded facility. And you can lock that joint down. Absolutely, dude. I'll be in the steam room smoking a cigar. We'll, we'll see how the world ends from that vantage point. Um, yeah, and, we, crazy. and we all know Jesus is coming back to mega churches first, so we'll be, we'll be good to go. Absolutely. Well, Ronald is good to go as well, and we we wish him safe travels as he uh, as he moves on from where whatever the next destination is. Pipe after uh, after the mega church meetings in Naperville, so uh, we'll be happy to have him back on the program. But Piper, we have a uh, a sponsor free program today, so we are in between. You're welcome, listeners. 
Yeah, that's right. We're in between massive business deals here in the program. So if you have a huge business, a global corporation that you want to uh, partner with our global corporation, then uh, give us a call. And by global, we mean we have a Twitter um, and that goes that goes all over the world. So if you want to do business with a huge multinational corporation that is the happy rent, uh, let us know. But Piper, we've got some some parenting topics to tee up. Uh, you and I are both parents. We both have kids living in the house. And uh, these things hit a little bit close to home, I think. So uh, we got some suggestions from listeners, just stuff that they had run across on Twitter. And I want to I want to start with a sports related one. Um, this is not a sports topic per se, so this this belongs on our on our flagship program and not the other program, right? And so for uh, you, for you parents who aren't sports fans, it is it's really about the interactions of parents. It happened at a sporting event of their kids, so you can all relate yeah. to this. Like you have dragged your kids to things that you don't care about. That's what this was. Except the parents cared maybe a little too much. Pipe and I got to tell you, like the the pathology is the same whether it's theater or a piano recital or a little league baseball game. You know this, your girls are, are into the arts. My kid has done some, some theater on the side and the, the pathology is the same. The parents are every bit as cranked up and, and paranoid and crazy as they are in little league baseball. But this one just happened to be a little league baseball game with a 13 year old umpire. So we're, we're talking about a child doing the umpiring for uh, children, ostensibly younger than him. These look like I don't know, maybe nine-year-old kids playing yeah, baseball. It's got to be like just the first round of player pitch. So like, yeah, eight, exactly. nine years old, something like that. The kind of player pitch where the games take about 11 hours to complete because every every batter is a walk or a hit batsman, and uh, it's just pain train to watch. But at any rate, it became pain train in real life when these parents began to fight with each other uh, because they took umbrage with – um, one of the calls that this 13 year old umpire made describe what you mean by fight, because like there's, so think of like in an NBA game, a fight is, is I really don't <laughs> want to punch you cause I might hurt my hand. Oh um, yeah. yeah. Fighting, fighting at a, you know, like a drunken fight might be like a lot of shoving until people fall over. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's road rage fighting, which could escalate into violence, but it's a lot of like pointing and screaming. What kind of fight are we talking about here, Ted? You know what, Piper, I haven't, I haven't actually watched the video. So while really? we're, yeah, while we're on the program here, I'm going to go ahead and watch the video. Okay, um, you you will be um, amazed by what I'm seeing. Yeah, entertained, amazed, yeah. slightly horrified. But Here's the caption gleeful. under the video. The caption is, the Lakewood Police Department is looking for a group of adults who got into a physical fight at a youth baseball game on Saturday. It happened at the Westgate Elementary during a Bear Creek junior baseball game. So I hope the police find a group of adults. Um, oh, here we go. All out base brawl is the, the header. Go. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, give yeah, us some play is, by play. This is OK. So this is the opposite of an NBA fight in that there are people throwing actual punches. There are people like actually rolling around on the ground, punching each other. That was a full on unhinged like Donnybrook. Um, whereas the NBA, it's kind of like. Two guys, like you said, who really don't want to be fighting and kind of slap fighting, kind of standing there posturing. Yeah, this is people going at it, man. Yeah, in the NBA and in most parental altercations, it's what Jalen Rose of ESPN and former NBA player calls a hold me back fight. Meaning yeah, you're exactly. depending on the people on your side to get between you and the other guys so that you can yeah. act aggressive and never have to be aggressive. This yeah. fight is like... Nope, we're just going straight for the haymakers. And then there's like shirt pulled over the head and people tackled on the ground. And I mean, it, it got, <laughs> it, it was a, it was a, a dude, okay. Brawl. So let me, let me, let me tell you a few of my favorite things about this. Okay. And I want to see if they're, um, if things that registered on your radar too. Number one, this is in Lakewood, Colorado. So these are, these are white people. I mean, this is like affluent. Um, the, the, the wide shot that the, that the news channel used was shot through like, a really beautiful, like manicured hedgerow. I mean, right. th- these are these are like suburbanites going at it. And you know what's funny about that? When you read the when you read the description, it just says in Lakewood at this field, and I'm like, that name was it Lakewood and Westlake? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I hear those names, I just know it's affluent white. Like that could be that oh, could absolutely. Be, that could be California. That could be Texas. That could be Illinois. That could be Virginia. Literally anywhere. I'm like, yes, rich Dude, white people live in Lakewood. There's got to be like a suburban wheel, like a name generating, like little wheel that they spin to just mad lib up these, these like, it's right next to the megachurch wheel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Westgate, Lakewood. These are, this is code for 
white suburbanite people. So yeah, you're looking at a lot of like colored shorts. You're looking at um, well-dressed people. Some of them were women. Like I saw, I saw some women throw punches in this, in this video. Yeah, this the, was amazing. The, the moms, the mom, this is a, uh, this is an equal opportunity thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. They, clearly there's a blurring of, of the, the gender lines here. Women were going in and, uh, they were, they were going to town as well. Yeah, dude, this is amazing. Sorry, and, and Owen the, Strand, women here throwing punches. The guy doing the bulk of the punching looked like he just stepped off one of those, like, missionary photograph cards that you see on like people's fridges where like the, the guys are wearing blue shorts. Everybody's wearing the same kind of like uh gap white t-shirt. Right. Um, the photo that's taken at the beach, like at sunset, but angled in yeah. such a way that the sun is making everybody squint, but it's not behind them giving. Yeah, it's dude. We, that's right. Everybody's that squinting. Everybody's in the same white shirt and like teal shorts. Nobody's punching anybody in that photograph. But in this instance, they, they like, all this guy's punch the photographer though. Absolutely. This guy's legit punching some people, man. There's a lot of punching going on in here. I feel like everybody in this fight is in teal shorts, um, which, which to me would, would portend a bad fight, but it was actually the opposite. Um, so tip, tip of the cap to Lakewood, Colorado, Little League parents, man. They, yeah, they really I, know how to I had, get down. I had conflicted feelings about that because I, I had the same thought where I was like, this is horrific. This is yeah, a children's oh, baseball game. Very self-righteous of me. But then I yeah. was like – but man, they went for it. Like there, there was none of this talking a big game and, and not doing anything to back it up. Like they just, they, that was a true knockdown drag out fight. They, they got after it. Dude, they really did get after it. I mean, these are affluent people in Colorado where weed is legal. Shouldn't they just be like all smoking weed in like 12,000 square foot houses and like looking at their pools? I mean, you know, this is. Yeah. Like. Yeah, smoke a joint and go skiing or something. I mean, what? Exactly. I don't I, get this. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I, maybe that's what the, the police thing. will do. Maybe the police will arrest them and give them weed to relax them. Exactly. I don't get it, Piper, but I absolutely do. In the sense that, um, have your girls played? Your girls have played sports, right? Like they swim competitively. They've done, yeah, they played soccer. Some. One of them's a swimmer. Um, yeah, and not on like the the super you know high level travel swim teams, or whatever. Thankfully, right. because that's that is a life commitment I'm not prepared to make yet. Um, but yeah, by so the way, we, all we've that, been in competitive environments. All that travel stuff is a joke. I mean, it's all just a mechanism intended to like separate parents from their money. Like those kids are no better. They're you know, like we've played we've played travel we've played soccer with kids who are in quote unquote travel soccer, and I mean it's just like laughable. I mean, you can't teach. High weight and speed, well, and, you know, and more like there, there's a bunch of research being done now. I realize we're kind of going far afield from our, our baseball yeah, fight, yeah. but this is a parenting thing, too. There's more and more research being done that talks about how um, the only people who benefit from specialization are the people making the money off of it. So oh, most definitely. the coaches, the league organizers, the sponsors, whatever, right. um, the players are not better. So like the. The players who have the most success at the professional level, generally mm-hmm. speaking, are ones who played multiple sports up into at least into high school. Absolutely, you know, dude. Maybe Absolutely. through high school. So the other night, the Twins retired the jersey of Joe Maurer, who was a high Great school multi-sport guy. Yep, high school peer of mine. We we played football against each other my senior year in high school, and uh, he was he was a basketball, baseball, and football player, full ride scholarship to Florida state to play for Bobby Bowden. Instead, he went number one overall in the MLB draft and he was all Metro in basketball because he was just good at everything. Yeah. But you look at it and you're like, but most these days, a player who's that good is going to have to pick a sport at 12 yeah. and just play that one thing, 11 and a half months a year and, and then not be better than Joe Maurer. So that they hate it and resent their parents by the, by the time they're and done. And if it's baseball, they blow their elbow out. If it's football, they get concussions. If it's soccer, yeah. they, you know, I, there's probably concussions and ankle and hip injuries and whatever else. Absolutely. But yeah. Dude, it, it totally takes its toll. It really does. Now, Piper, let me ask you this. Back to our original story here from Lakewood. What's your, like, what's your parent watching a sport philosophy? Because I, I got to tell you, man, I have wanted to do this. Like there've been so many times where I've wanted to like just beat the H out of some people at, at my kids' games. So I'm that guy that like finds, I find a little section of fence that's like as far away from everything as possible. Like like next to the next to the forest that like abuts the stadium, and I stand there um, because I just can't deal with it, dude. I, I can't deal with everybody else's comments. 
I don't want to be near people for fear of them hearing like what's coming out of my mouth. And I'm not a yeller. I'm a like, I'm an angry comment maker to like my wife. My wife doesn't want to sit by me during these things. Like, um, she, she wants me to be alone. I want to be alone. It's kind of miserable, man. And I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit ashamed. <laughs> at least, at least you're in agreement. Do, do we are, we're totally in agreement. Like in that she, she kind of wants to be next to her friends, basically not watching the game, just chatting and enjoying their company. And, and I need to be someplace, you know, by myself where I won't hurt anyone. And, uh, that's just kind of how we get through it. But, um, but yeah, man, it's, it's something like we had, so we had a soccer game this spring. This was high school. And one of the weird things about soccer pipe, maybe we've touched on this on the program with soccer. Like you sit in the same bleachers as the opposing team's parents, um, which I think is just a real bad idea. Like in, in football, you've got a whole 52 yard field separating the, the two fan bases. Plus, plus usually like a track and then yeah, like a the track area, and the at area least between the track and the field. Like you, you're a good yeah. 100, 125 yards apart from the the enemy. Dude, absolutely. Football, you're 125 yards and some chain link away from the enemy. Soccer, you're sitting right next to them. You know, it's it's horrible. It's miserable. And so we're playing this soccer game. I think there's a tacit uh, implication about how soccer fans are to be understood in that. How's that, dude? I don't well, get it. Okay, so football's a violent sport. Football yeah. fans, you know, macho, aggressive. Yep. Um, soccer's a sport where people pretend to be hurt. To be strategic, yeah. and if the exactly. ref looks at them funny, they grab their shins and fall over. So, yeah, I think there's an implication there that the fans are uh, similar. If somebody yelled an aggressive thing, they would like grab their neck and pretend that that they were choking or something. Yeah, you know? I think I, I, I think West Tennessee hasn't gotten that memo because I, I think I think football fans and soccer fans in in the west side of the state here are, are pretty similar in that. Well, not to mention in like most of the world where soccer fans are known to throw like bags of urine or bring in lead pipes to hit people. Yeah, or with, light or fires just, in the stands I, or whatever. There's like, no such thing crazy. as baseball hooligans. There absolutely are soccer hooligans. Like that's absolutely. a real thing. So it's I th- I, I'm not saying it's an accurate portrayal. I'm saying it's like a – it's sort of like – it's almost as if the people who set this up think of soccer as tennis. Like, oh, this is a gentleman's game. You're like, well – I don't know what it is, but the fans aren't gentlemen. No, they're not, man. Yeah, so we're at this game. I'm I'm two rows ahead of this this guy from uh, from the opposing school that we're playing, and his kid's name uh, was Chipper, right? So he had he had this real like distinctive name, and Chipper was super dirty. Okay, so Chipper's running around like you know slide tackling people twenty yards behind the play and, and running people over from the back, and which is to say he, that Chipper sucks at soccer and is doing the things that he is capable of doing. Oh, absolutely. And, and his dad was terrible. So his dad's like encouraging all this. Right. And um, our fan base was kind of starting to rumble about it. I was doing that thing where I'm, I'm making I'm making like snide, angry comments and I'm making them like in an escalating level of volume with each comment. And, you know, the, the subtext is like I'm me and Chipper's dad are going to probably have it out by like, you know, the, the third period or whatever. Um, so my my lady just grabs me by the arm and sinks her claws into me. Like she doesn't say anything, but it's like, it's like a mom with a kid who's acting up in church. Dude, seriously. I'm like an 11 year old child at this point, And she's the, she's the angry mother. And, uh, she was, she was basically like, we're not going to do this. Like, like this, this can't be a thing, you know, local university professor, like brawls with, you know, angry soccer dad at a, at a jamboree. This cannot be a thing. Um, so anyway, man, I, I do, sympathize a little bit with these fans from Lakewood. I, uh, I feel their pain. Thankfully I've, I've never been in a, in a brawl over one of my kids games, but yeah. I, I try to avoid all contact with parents at any function yeah. that my children are involved in except church. Yeah. I try yeah. never to go to their school mm-hmm. and I realize people are like, you're not a supportive parent. I'm like, no, this is me being supportive. I'm supportive because I send them with lunches. I get them there on time. They do their homework. They get good grades. They're respectful to their teachers. And I never, ever talk to teachers or parents because yeah. that doesn't go well. Well, and I tell you, that's best case scenario for the teachers. Believe me, like you are you are the model parent for them. Um, and, and I think that's kind of as it should be, you know, like I, I just remember and I'd be interested to see what the what the Piper household was like growing up. But we grew up in kind of the same era. I'm a little bit older than you. But back when we were like when you and I were going to public school, there was no parental involvement. 
Like yeah, there your was parents, those parent-teacher conferences, which your parents went to if you were a screw-up, and that's right. it. Right. Yeah, and I remember like once or twice my parents would go to like a – I think when I was coming out of eighth grade and I was getting ready to start high school, there was like an orientation where we all went and like, I don't know, listened to a talk in the cafeteria or whatever. But, but yeah, they barely – they never darkened the door of my high school except to go watch me play sports. And even then, like they never talked to the coaches, never talked to a teacher. But I think, man, I I think that mindset is like a dinosaur. That's a thing of the past. It's extinct, you know, whereas nowadays it's like hyper parental involvement and you see these coaches and they're just like shell shocked. Like the last thing they want to see walking towards them is a parent because they know they're going to get an earful. It's just bad. Let me encourage parents on this one. I Mm. I don't think it's done. I don't, I think most parents are still like that. I think most parents are like you or like me. The problem is that you can't tell because we don't say anything. Yeah, that's true. Like the whole point is that we don't say anything. Our goal is to not say anything. We we don't (laughs) want to be seen or heard unless there is a crisis involving our child. And by crisis, we mean like they right. punch somebody in the mouth, somebody punch them in the mouth, or they're failing. Like yeah. that, that's, yeah. that's kind of the full spectrum. Um, and so there's no solidarity amongst parents who are like, no, nah, my kids are good. So <laughs> the only parents who get noticed are, are the – how can I say this nicely? Um, the overly aggressive, overly involved parents. Yeah. Dude, where do you think that – where do you think that mentality came from? You know, like, so, so we can run all this back and all all these things have to be, they have to be rooted in the, in the human heart, right? So if you're that super involved parent and you're making all the phone calls and you're advocating for your kid, like, what is that a symptom of? You know what I mean? Um, I, I think it's like, I think, so I don't, I wouldn't call this a diagnosis, but I think it would be an, an influence on it. Mm Mm-hmm. There's something about the internet age where people have access to information that's isolated from a big mm-hmm. picture. You know, so you, you read an article and it says like uh, research indicates that there might be a correlation between, you know, children's, uh, you know, um, progress in school and parents' presence. Or yeah. something like that. And so people are like, oh, well, I have to be at school. And you're like, actually, there's like nine modifiers in there, and it's not a definitive <laughs> study, and there exactly. was no control group, and uh, it was in one specific socioeconomic or one particular racial demographic or whatever. Like everything about this study is, is – And it ran, in, it ran in People magazine or right. some equally BS publication. And, and then – but, but you, you get enough of that kind of stuff, and then you get parent. it's basically parents pressuring parents. I think like two parents at any school enjoy that. They're also the sure. ones who were like the captain of the cheerleading team or the bully in school. Um, yeah. Everybody else hates it. They just do it out of like, if I don't do this, people will perceive me to be a crap parent. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, so like my lack of involvement in school, I know that there are parents who are the, the parents of my daughter's friends who look at me and think I am being lazy. Yeah. I could not care less. Because I know exactly what I do to take care of my kids. I mean, I would not call myself an A plus dad, yeah. But I'm also trying very hard. So, uh, but I, I think I think there's a there's a profound guilt element of it, and I think on the mom side of things, that's even more pronounced. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think dads so too. don't make me feel guilty at all. It's the moms who are sort of glaring at me, being like, "Why aren't you more involved?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't care. I don't want to be involved in that." Dude, way. I think I think in mom circles. Like 95% of stuff gets done just because of guilt. And the other 5% is because of like, how is this going to photograph on social media? Um, Which then leads to guilt because you see other people doing these things that look a certain way and you're like, oh man. So for, and and it's almost seasonal. You get these different parts Mm -hmm. of the year, you know, so there's sporting events, there's like award ceremonies, there's graduations, there's whatever. Yeah. So like, you know, whatever, 27 parents post pictures of their their children's elementary or middle school award ceremonies. I'm like, so proud of this kid. Yeah. And I'm like, honestly, I'm not that proud of my kid for getting a B honor roll in middle school. Right. Cause if you don't like, what are you even doing? Dude, right. A B honor roll in middle school in 2019 basically just means like you have a pulse and you showed up for most yeah, of the days. You turned in you your know? assignments like, like the end. Yeah. And, and so going to those things is I, I would rather go to the dentist because at least the yeah. dentist is doing something healthy for me. 
That's those right. things are simply stealing time from me. The That's only true. reason I go to those is because I want my daughter to feel special, and that yeah. matters to me. But, yeah. but almost every school function is a big, fat waste of time. Totally, dude. It's fascinating, isn't it? Like, I, th- I think, too, human heart-wise, like a lot of it's rooted in this kind of utopian obsession where th- these are all relatively smart people, and a lot of them are relatively theologically smart, right? And on the level of knowing that, like, we live in a fallen world, the human heart is deceitful. Like, so, so there are some, there are some baseline levels of, of knowledge going in, but yet functionally, it's really this desire to create a perfect scholastic utopia for my kid where every experience they have is perfect. Every outcome is the best. Every sort of photographical moment gets, you know, captured perfectly. And, and, you know, anything that threatens that, whether it's a coach who gasp, you know, plays them in a position they don't want to play or doesn't play them at all, or or plays a player who's better than they are, plays a player who's better than they are or gasp. What if they don't get the lead in the play or whatever? So anything that, anything that threatens kind of my utopian dream for my kid, the claws come out, right. Or the guns come out and it's a, it's a war. And I, I don't know what changed between like 1985 and now, but I think now the expectation is the experience has to be picture perfect. And if it's not, somebody's going to hurt for it, right? Like somebody's going to feel pain and look like I have that impulse too, you know? So when my kid gets robbed of a game or stuff doesn't go right. Like I, I definitely have the impulse to like, I want to, I want to take this out of somebody's well, That's, that's up, almost different you know? though, because like that's, there's a, there's an injustice there. It might be a very small yeah. injustice. Cause again, it's yeah. like a 10th grade or ninth grade basketball game or whatever, right. but it's right. like, that was unfair. It's not yeah. unfair. If a better performer gets the lead and your kid doesn't, it's not unfair. Yeah. If, a better forward gets the starting position than your child or swims in that relay race or whatever. Like the, the better performers should get the leads in, in any context. That's fair. I think I have this con, this conversation with my kids all the time. Like there's such a, there's, I was like, uh, there's a big difference between unfair and, and uh, disappointing. Yeah. And unenjoyable. Right. Like you don't enjoy not starting. You don't deserve to start. Yeah. And that's, that's right. But I don't think parents get that. No, they They're don't. Sort of like I, they have a right to start because they share my last name. Well, yeah, that's yeah, not, that's not really not how it works, dude. That's why sports is the most honest thing. Like we really, really need sports because in in almost every other walk of life, it's all negotiable, right? Um, the classroom or any any sort of creative endeavor, you can kind of talk yourself into, you know, well. A dozen publishers passed on my manuscript, but it really is brilliant. You know, they just don't get my artistic vision or whatever. Um, but sports, man, it's just so doggone honest. And I, I love it for that. You know, you can't BS yourself and you really can't BS anybody else. And I, I think for me, at least like in, in my life, it it serves a very concrete purpose in that regard. But that does make it painful at times. And, you know, these adults fist fighting at a, at a little league baseball game. Like to me, I see that and I just see that's a bunch of super broken, dissatisfied people who it, are, it screams that there's some level of identity wrapped up in this absolutely. too. So there, there's idolatry, yeah. there's identity because if you're willing to punch another parent, cause a 13 year old umpire blew a game, that means that you are resting an inordinate amount of your value on the choice of a prepubescent human being. <laughs> Dude, that is right. insane. But the same thing, we do that to our kids who are also, well, either, I mean, adolescent, prepubescent, whatever, like they're, they're at the idiot stage of life. Yeah. And, and if you're resting your value on what they do, good luck with all that. Right. So, so you're probably looking at, I don't know, a dad who hasn't fulfilled any of his own dreams and is super bitter about it. And, has these big dreams for his kid and or he the, believes when, that, you know, people talk about high school being the best days of our lives. He, you know, he still, he still is like has his letter jacket in a prominent place in the home and sort of looks at it fondly. <laughs> Whereas like mine's yeah. gathering dust. I think in my parents' attic, I couldn't tell you yeah. where it is. Um, but it, there, there's a, 
they stopped living at some point and they started yeah. living vicariously through something else instead of going, this is my life. I want my children to have the best life. Like, you know what I, what I want when I go to my daughter's swim meet, I want mm-hmm. her to have the best experience. And so yeah. the thing that I'm conscientious of is not ruining that. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. so that means generally avoiding other parents because I'm at risk of ruining it. Yep. It means not, not being overly aggressive in coaching her because she has a coach. Yeah. Cheering for her, encouraging her, telling her how she can get better if she's in a position to hear that. But I don't want her to get out and be like, here's seven things you could do better. Cause that's, yeah. the, you know, so like, I want that to be an experience. She looks back on him and goes, I love swimming. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I I'm not living vicariously through her. I I lose no sleep if she is the last place in a swim meet. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I think I've I've been a little. I've probably been too aggressive with my with my boys on that. Like I I lose no sleep either, with the caveat that if they're in last because they were lazy and they dogged it, then I'm losing sleep over that. But if if they're in last because oh that yes hundred percent true because that yeah. is a that's a that that's doesn't a hard th- issue, right? That's a right. That that's a like, like what did we? Has, what am I paying for? What did you sign up for? Why are we even doing this? If you care right. that little, right? You, you can go read a book, dude. And to me, that that has bearing on the rest of their lives, right? How you perform, not from a wins and losses standpoint, but just from a you know your own conscience standpoint. You know, did you did you give everything you had? Are you making the most of the opportunity? Like those are those are teachable life moments and. And yeah, the the few times where my kids have dogged it and I know they're dogging it, like I've, I've really suffered, you know, I've suffered over that and it's been, it's been hard and I probably haven't handled it very well, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating the level of emotional investment that these, that these parents have, have made. And really you see it, you kind of see it all over the youth sports landscape today, and I, I think I'm a little guilty of it. Like I felt a little pang where when you talked about the high school years being the best of your of, of your life, like I think in retrospect, I have idealized that moment such that like I'm going to be really disappointed if my kids don't get to taste what some of that was like. And they're not gonna. Right. I mean, they go to this, you know, unspeakably dorky little like classical school. So it's not going <laughs> to feel like. It's not going to feel like public school in the 90s. And by the with, way, that's redundant. Uh, yeah, it really is. I could have just said classical school and every, everyone would have known exactly the culture that we're, that we're dealing with. But I mean, that's stuff that as a Christian, though, you really do decide to die to it, right? And that's part of your growth and sanctification and development where you go, okay, the, the Lord says that he will withhold no good thing and if I've prayed about this, if I've kind of explored every avenue, if I've given it to the Lord, then I can't be bitter about it, right? Because the way I look at it is the Lord's not going to withhold, you know, a good thing for my child. And, it, and if this is an idol for me that maybe wouldn't be good for them, then it's it's really a blessing that they're not having it. But, you know, clearly that we, we don't always take that that level of like reasonability into the stadium with us as parents, you know? Well, I mean, and there, there's a flip side to that, which is guys like you and I who, you know, I think you had probably more of an all-American high school experience than I did. I jumped around a little bit, but loved mm-hmm. sports, had a, had a really good time. There, there's a really fond memories, nostalgia, yeah. but I by no means do I look at 17-year-old me and go, that was that was better than 36-year-old me. Yeah, as a no, person, as a, my phase in life, and a lot of life has happened since then, and a lot of it has not been great. But like, I'm happier now than I was at 17. I have more confidence yeah. in like, oh, this is who God made me to be. This is this is a yep. better place in life. Hopefully, I can pass that on to my kids. If, yeah. if you know, I don't know if that's transferable, but maybe I can set an example. And so, I, I, it's certainly not the those are the best days of my life. But it's good to look back on those days and go. Those were good days. That was a lot Absolutely. of fun. I miss yep. high school football. Yep. I was I was yep. out for a run the other day. And so it's, you know, it's muggy as all get out and it's disgusting. It's like 8 a.m. on a Thursday. And the high schoolers are out there doing summer drills on the practice yep. field. Yep. And everything in me wanted to jump the fence and join them. Oh, I know it, man. I know it. I would do it in a heartbeat. And and yeah, it's it's a weird message to give to your kids where you go, I was thankful for that. That was really fun. 
I would jump the fence and join them in a, in a heartbeat. But I'm also really grateful for, yeah, the kind of growth and sanctification and maturity that comes with 30 years. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't want to go back to like, you know, the headspace or the character that, that I had when I was 17. But, but yeah, I, I think what a lot of these parents are longing for, and, and maybe this is part of the pathology of this whole thing, is what they realize is there's just certain things that you can't go back and get. Right. So you can't ever have that experience of, you know, Friday night lights or whatever, or even playing little league baseball and getting to put on the stirrups and, you know, jack around with your friends in the dugout. And I I think what the dads inherently understand is this is finite, right? This is going to go away and it's going to be replaced by, you know, 50 hours a week in the cubicle doing something that you probably hate. Um, so enjoy it now is the message, but that message gets perverted and distorted into this is the most important thing in the world in not, this moment. Not only know? the message, but like you just ruin the experience. Your, your kids no longer want you to show up to their games when you act like Dude, that. that's right. They're like, that's oh, right. good. The angry gorilla is here. Aren't we all exactly. excited to go play baseball? And exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's. I think you're right about the the mindset behind it, but there's just such a disconnect between like these days are finite, so let's ruin them for our kids. Exactly. Wait, so now? let's yeah, let's weigh them down with all sorts of outsized and ridiculous importance so that we ruin them for our kids. And and yeah, it's really it's sad, man. And and we've all had this experience of like as a parent feeling so bad for the kid who's getting chewed out by his out of control dad, you know. And yeah, you just look at that and you go, there's I mean, a kid who's going to And you and, you and I yeah. have talked about this too. We, we do this to our kids, except maybe not at sports, but because maybe we're more conscientious of it. But like you go on a family vacation and, and it's the classic, like, you are going to have a good time. You will <laughs> like this experience. We're going to go drag you to this whatever scenic overlook Absolutely. and you're going to look at it and you're going to think it's beautiful. Yep. Instead of just sort of letting the experience exist and the memories form as they form and so, I mean, I'm about to go on a road trip with my kids, and I'm I'm legitimately thinking through this going, I, I will not ruin this by being the dad who demands that they enjoy themselves. Yeah. They either yeah. will or they won't. Yeah. Uh, I will try to create an environment that they can have fun in, but I will not, you know, be like, do you realize what you are missing right now kind of thing? But But that's not that different than sports because all I'm doing is saying – I, I have memories of this and I want you to have memories of this, but I'm now ruining your memories with my crap attitude. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that, that's it, you know, and, and again, as a Christian, you want to be the kind of parent who I think you want to have a soft conscience so that when you do screw up, which we all do, man. And, and I could tell you un, uncountable stories of that happening, but um, you want to feel the pang of conscience and then you want to really like model the gospel by apologizing your, you know, to your kids and seeking their forgiveness and, you know, r- reminding them that, um, Christ died for all this. Right. So, I mean, there can be valuable things that come out of it, but, um, but yeah, you don't want to be ruining every experience because you load them up with so many expectations, you know, and, and speaking of Piper, it can be tough on a day-to-day basis to learn, uh, how to teach our kids about responsibility. And one way that a listener's wife is choosing to teach her kids about responsibility is by giving them chores. How, um, how dare she? How dare, what a monster. That you is, know? I mean, that's I, just, I, that's, yeah, I that's hope she like knows. child labor infringement. I just made up that right. phrase, but it sounds right to me. I mean, do they have a sweatshop in their house? You know, I mean, this is like, there should be a labor union for this, right? Um, so this this lady much like our own moms, probably. Um, I'm guessing Noel had some chores for you growing up. Oh, every uh, Saturday and usually a little bit in between. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And we have chores for our kids, which apparently makes us like third world dictators at this point. But um, yeah, okay, Castro. So a friend of the program, and this is a this is a good guy. This is a guy I've actually met well, years ago when I was speaking at a, at a conference in Florida. A conference that Ronnie Martin was not attending. So it was really a rare one. I should have kept my lanyard from that one. Um, But anyway, this guy's wife posted something on social about chores and she really took a beating about it. Um, There were people that that lashed out to her about how, you know, summer is a time for kids to play and not be encumbered by chores. And how dare you like treat your kids like sweatshop workers. And uh, I don't know. What do you make of this pipe? 
Well, you know, we were talking earlier about sort of the social media effect on parenting guilt, specifically mom guilt. And Mm -hmm. this is a mom who is trying to interact in a very like communal way with other moms saying, hey, what kind of what ways have you found to be good? Here's what we're thinking about. So trying to have a fruitful conversation with other moms about what works well. And she just gets fire rained down on her head, which, of course, just (laughs) exacerbates any parenting guilt. I really hope that she was able to look at that and go, well, that's all nonsense and not feel any and not feel any guilt from that. But uh, I don't. It it's it seems almost like the insane opposite of what we were just talking about of like the pressure that we put on kids by living vicariously through them. Yeah. And then this is like so if you're a little league dad who's insanely pressuring your kid but then at home you refuse to give them responsibility you have given them a totally a totally backwards message on any level of responsibility, enjoyment, anything. Because yeah. you put all the pressure on the wrong things and taken all the pressure off in the in the responsible things. My guess is these parents are the same ones who are like pushing their kids into things too hard or like they're like the dance moms who are just like hyper hovering, over involved, overly critical, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Either that or the they're the ones who just never discipline their kids in the first place. And so they're raising little monsters. Dude, the reaction that this would engender in me if I was this woman who had posted this would be, I'm never posting anything on social media again, (laughs) you know, because like I would go the exact opposite direction. I would post daily pictures posed with my kids. So they would be (laughs) in on the joke of them with like bandanas tied around their heads. They'd be in like drab. I I would find like a burlap sack to put on them, (laughs) holding a broom and a wash bucket, like sweating, whatever, just Picture right. after picture, and I would tag these people in it. But one like, of those like coal miners, like little hats yeah. on on your kid with the light. Yes, and it, just yeah. rub, rub some soot on their face if I can find it. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, I think my kids would get a kick out of that too because they, oh, for sure. thankfully, for they sure. share my sense of humor for the most part. But yeah, yeah. It, so you would you would completely disengage. I, on the other hand, would just drag them endlessly until they blocked me. There you go. Dude, it's funny though, because I, I'm, I'm sure at some level not to read like I- intentions into, into this woman's original post, but I'm sure she wanted like some little pellets of affirmation from the universe of, oh, you're doing good or you're being a good mom or these ideas are so creative or, you know, yeah, way to or go. Just, or the affirmation that comes from, hey, we do the same thing. Here's how we exactly. do it. So it's sort of like yeah. we're, we're doing the same thing. We're in this together, which is, you right. know, that is helpful as a parent because Absolutely. I think we can all agree that there's a fair amount of time we, we feel like we don't know what we're doing. That's right, man. That's right. But instead, she just gets like raked over the coals for it. Has uh, it ever crossed your mind that assigning chores to your kids is like cruelty of some kind? Dude, never. I've, I've literally <laughs> never had that because I, I think so much of this is – it's shaped by the way we grow up. Right. And my parents weren't, they weren't slave drivers by any stretch of the imagination, but, but yeah, Saturday was like clean the house day, you know, and I'm scrubbing toilets and taking the trash out and, you know, mowing the lawn. As soon as I became like, you know, able to walk and chew gum at the same time, like mowing the lawn became the, that, that was my purview. Like, here's the lawnmower. Here's how you do a straight road. Don't cut your foot off. Yeah. Don't cut your foot off. Be careful. You know, all that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's truly in part, and I'm sure you relate to this, Piper, but maybe it's worse with boys. Like if they didn't have some chores, I literally don't know how I would fill an entire day with them, you know, because they're just so like, they've got so much energy and they're demanding and, you know, you can't be like playing ball in the yard with them all day, you well, know? So, yeah, I think that's especially true when they're little, but also like yeah. there's, it's a lot of work to keep up an entire home by yourself. Absolutely. And Absolutely. it is – so the thing I learned as – so my kids – you know, there's a point where assigning your kids chores is more work for you because mm-hmm. they, they're so bad at it. Yeah. There comes a point where they're like – you're like, they're doing this about 60 to 70% as well as I would do it. Yeah. But I don't have to do it. Yeah. So that's worth it. Yeah. And, and so there's just a practical aspect to it. The other thing is like – your kids live in your home. You yeah. need to teach them how to take – unless you're fixing for them to hire a maid at like 22. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. They should probably learn the responsibility of like, oh, I left hair all over the bathroom floor. I should clean that up. Oh, it's like there's like <laughs> toothpaste crust in the sink. I should wipe that out. There's exactly. dishes in the sink. I should put them in the dishwasher. Like those are those are just basic ways of like being courteous to those you live with. Yeah. It's, no, I mean, totally. if you teach your kids table manners, which maybe these parents don't, maybe these are just true free range little monsters. But uh, if you teach your kids table manners, teach them to clean up behind themselves and to, you know, leave things as nice as they found them or nicer, et cetera. Like, and I, I sound exactly like my mother right now, which is a little bit cringe inducing, but also I appreciate that she taught me those things. Dude, isn't it funny, man? It's, it's funny how we, we really do end up so much like our parents. Let me, uh, let me end this with one. This is an encouraging parenting story, but it took about a decade to get here. So for years, I have two boys. They're 16 and 13 now. Um, they're both really physical guys. They're both athletes. And one of the things that athletic young dudes like to do is just make any room they're in into like an arena. And so there's there's always a place to you know wrestle or throw a ball or whatever. And for years, we've been telling these guys like, take that kind of thing outside. Um, and back when we used to have a basement, it was always like, take it into the basement, take it outside, whatever. And they, they would always disobey that. Right. And then a hole would show up in the wall. So, and I would, I would, I, what, I would completely are, were, lose my, my were they, are they even possible? I mean, capable of obeying that? Cause I feel like when I was 13 <laughs> and 16, it wasn't that I was trying to disobey. It's just that there was like an overwhelming compulsion to throw a thing, to tackle someone to totally. like, there was, there's like this simmering physical energy Absolutely. and aggression that just boiled over the moment an equal showed up. Dude, that's right. It's just hardwired into you at that age. And so, yeah, for, for Maxim, my little guy, God bless him. It's always him getting just super angry because Tristan's <laughs> beating him at everything. And then like, cause he gets hip checked through a wall or something. Oh dude. Yeah. So he'll like punch a wall, kick a wall. There's holes, you know, I mean, and, and I like, I was an only child. So I grew up in a very serene household and you know, my, I, I like to keep our stuff neat and not messy. And so I just lose my mind when these guys do this. Right. So the other day, man, they were playing in, in Maxim's room and I went to put Maxim into bed that night and I noticed that the bed frame was broken and he was sleeping at like a, like a 45 degree angle. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's not good. You know, um, it's not good for behold. the circulation, if nothing else. Yeah, it's bad for the circulation. So they had been like WWE style in the room, like slamming each other onto the bed and the bed frame broke. And, uh, I asked Tristan about it and he's like, yeah, he goes, I'm really, really sorry. He's like, I actually ordered him a new bed frame on, Amazon Prime. It'll be here tomorrow. So like he's at an age where, you know, he's working, he's got a little bit of money in his pocket and he, he replaced the bed frame, which I was mightily impressed with. I'm like, I would like for there to be a day where you're just not ruining everything. But if you're going to ruin everything, uh, at least replace it. This is good. That's a really know? good first step. Yeah, there's a, is a good step. You, you have clearly taught him. You, you haven't overcome uh, his testosterone. Exactly. But you have taught him responsibility. Yeah, I think so, man. That's so good. I was pretty proud of him. It is good. It is good. But um, it, it's partly my fault, though, because I'm I'm in the the stage of our life where I'm showing him action movies all the time. And then he wants to, like, act them out with Maxim. So the, the bed frame is ultimately my fault. So I'm, I'm taking the bullet. For yeah. that one. Which which is the wrestling move where you flip the person upside down? Oh, is it the pile driver where you go headfirst into the floor? Headfirst into the floor is pile driver. My favorite move is always the suplex which was kind of the big, you pick them up and like slam their, their back into the mat. So Um, yeah, I had it in high school. So same age as your sons, just to make you feel better that a people survive this and become productive members of society (laughs) and B he's completely like on par with, with other sort of generic athletic males. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who was trying to slow motion exemplify the pile driver move Nice. And then actually did it to a friend because he couldn't hold them up long enough uh-huh. into a hardwood floor. Oh, my goodness. No That's concussion, horrible. no broken neck. It, it, I, I was certain that both of them would be the case. Yeah. Um, and they're both, they're both great now. They're, they're married with families and good jobs and all is fine. But, but, you know, morons grow up to be decent grownups. So. Dude, well, there you go. Hope after, hope after suplexes. You know, hope after pile right. drivers. Hope after Maybe. the pile driver. 
Maybe that's our next book, man. Maybe we can sell that to Crossway. You know, um, although all those Crossway guys, my guess is they just like they sat in a room next to like a crackling fire and just read books when they were when they were adolescent boys. I think yeah. they skipped over the whole. You know, when WWE. I read like C.S. Lewis's childhood, uh-huh. I'm like, what? How boring. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you were, like, yeah, yes, you turned into a genius. Good for you. Exactly. But also, when, when, who was like kicking you in the head when you were seven? Like, this Dude, is, right. this is an, an essential part of boyhood. He's like, I spent the morning whittling a pencil, which I then used to like write out all of my thoughts and feelings. And in the evening, I took a, I took a constitutional around the grounds, you know, and I'm like, this is incredible. You've, you've been an old man ever since you were a child. Yeah, I mean, he, he legitimately was like, we drank tea, and my brother and I conspired yeah. to write a, a, a tale about anthropomorphic animals. Right, I'm like, what? right. My brother it, and I, <laughs> if we ever conspired anything, it, it, it always ended up with, with me you know, in some sort of wrestling hold until I couldn't breathe anymore. Yeah, and C.S. Lewis is like, when I felt really high-spirited one afternoon, I whittled a bird, you know? And it's like, oh my gosh, man, this is, this is idyllic to have been your parent, you know? What, a, yeah. what an easy ride. Maybe that's what happens back in the day when you could, like, whoop your kids with a cane. Maybe, maybe that led to a more idyllic life. I bet C.S. Lewis had chores. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he had, he had a few things to do there at the, at the, the Lewis family compound. But... Um, Piper, we have we probably have other chores to do besides just making radio. So uh, have have we wandered to and fro throughout this? Or are we gonna Are we gonna call it a wrap? I think so. We've wandered quite to and quite fro. We really have, man. And uh, Ronald, we wish you the best wherever you are, um, whatever megachurch conference room you're you're inhabiting, uh, whatever evening entertainment you're looking forward to. So, Godspeed to you, conference man. Uh, we have wandered to and fro throughout these topics and until next time the happy rant is brought to you by resonate recordings if you go to resonaterecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer so if you're considering starting a podcast they are the ones we recommend going with again go to resonaterecordings.com to see their prices to connect with them and ask any questions and to see what they can do to help you launch edit master and improve your podcast Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse, guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.